0: It was the hardest choice of my life. The hardest damn choice
1: of my life. Keith Cooper got an offer from the state to let him out of prison after nine years of a 40 year sentence. All he had to do was accept a robbery charge and time served for a crime he didn't commit. He had to give up his right to claim innocence.
0: had just received a letter from my sister saying my kids and my family was in the shelter. And I know what happens in the shelter. And I'm thinking about my children living in that place there. So all this came in at one time to me. So I I went back to my cell later that day, all that day. I thought about it. They want me to give up my right. They want me to give up my right. Keep you been here nine years for something you didn't do. This is your opportunity to go home, save your family. And I remember praying to God, and God, and God answered me. He said, "I'm giving you a door.
1: I'm gonna open this door for you. Take it." Cooper took the deal and got his family out of the shelter. But that agonizing decision would cost him plenty in the end. He had to fight another 11 years before becoming the only person in Indiana history to win a governor's pardon based on actual innocence. Mistakes like what happened to Cooper are more common than you may think. There have been nearly 2,700 wrongful convictions overturned in the last three decades. That's an average of one every four days. Each case is attached to a real human being, a life torn apart. Cooper's two-decade struggle to clear his name is the second in this six-part series. Each case is its own tragic story, but the people behind them all have one thing in common. They're being helped by a group of Notre Dame law students who are discovering what it means to be a different kind of lawyer in a surprisingly flawed criminal justice system. I'm Brendan O'Shaughnessy, and you're listening to the Notre Dame Stories six-part series, Proving Innocence. Keith Cooper was born and raised in Chicago. He had a wife and three young kids, but he wanted more for his family than his security job could provide. His wife had family in Elkhart, Indiana, a city of about 50,000 people a half hour's drive from Notre Dame. They said there were plenty of jobs there.
0: We was going to be going to any it was going to be, you know, I can go live the American dream. When I went up there, to, sure enough, to, within 14 days, I had a job working at Bank Slumber. And 45 days after that, I had a second job working at Creation Windows. So I was doing well. When I was 29. My wife, she was 25. Keith Jr. was seven, Keisha was
1: five, and Devon was one. On the morning of January 2nd, 1997, Cooper said he was walking home from a grocery store with eggs, bacon, cereal, milk, and a newspaper, planning to watch cartoons and eat breakfast with the kids. His court testimony was slightly different. He said he was unemployed and coming from a store where he'd cashed a check. Either way... The next moments are burned into his memory. And
0: I was walking from back from that store, and I got caught by the train, so I'm standing there. I decided to light me a cigarette. And I hear these police sirens. And I didn't know they was coming for me. I didn't I, didn't, I never suspected that, that they was coming for me, because I'm just an innocent man coming from the store. And when they made, when they jumped out the car and put the guns to my head and threw me on the ground, I'm asking them what I'm being charged with, what crime I committed. They told me, shut up, just threw me on the ground. And they stood there, when they finally handcuffed me and placed me inside the, the car, they told me I was wanted for a strong arm robbery.
1: A woman's purse had been snatched earlier, and Cooper fit the description of a tall black man. They drove him to a home so the victim could identify him. Not in a neutral lineup, but in the back of a police car. The lady was sitting on the porch about, I want to say about 20 feet
0: away from me. And I'm inside the squad car and she on the on porch maybe, with, I had to say it got to be about 10 steps up. She said, that's him. I said, no, let me get out the car. I'm not the man that robbed her. He said, no, that's all we needed.
1: And from there, my life was Cooper told his mother to save what money she had rather than bail him out. He knew he would beat the charge. But while he was in jail, a police officer told him that he was planning to nail him for a much bigger case, a robbery and attempted murder at the apartment complex where
0: Cooper's family lived. They took me down to this little office, and he said, hey, if you take that case to trial and you beat it, I got this for you. This is your egg right here. I said, what you mean by egg? He said, you take that child, you're going to hatch this egg here. I got seven people to say you did. I knew then it was serious, that these, that these folks was trying to keep me. No matter what, they weren't going to let me go. And I told my mom, I said, mom, if you don't get me out of here, these people are going to lock me up for the rest of my life for something I didn't do. She said, don't worry about it. But I got to put the house up. I'm going to put the house up. And all I can say was,
1: thank you, mom. I didn't do this year. It's the honest to God truth. Cooper beat the purse snatching charge. As promised, he was charged in the robbery and shooting. Police said he'd committed the crimes with Christopher Parrish, a man Cooper never met until years later. His wife sold their belongings to pay household expenses. His mother took on a loan on her home to pay for bail. At first, Cooper couldn't believe that witness after witness identified him as the shooter. But they were all white and the police had told him that they had found the right man. That's the only
0: description they had of me, tall and black. They said it wasn't too many tall black males in uh, Elkhart. But I was the only one they saw that day. They kidnapped me, man. They ruined my family. They ruined me. And that lady said, I will never forget your face. And I'm like, I didn't do this. Can't y'all see I got the wrong person? But, did you not know, I hate to say it, but it's true. We all look alike to some of the people, other races. I feel I was black and tall. It didn't matter if I, if I wasn't the one.
1: At the trial, prosecutors relied on the mistaken eyewitnesses, even though experts say that a cross-racial identification during a stressful situation can often lead to errors. They also produced a jailhouse informant who claimed that Cooper had admitted his guilt. The informant would later refuse to testify, but the state used his written statement. Elliot Slosser, a Chicago lawyer who co-teaches the Notre Dame Exoneration Justice Project, now represents Cooper in his civil trial against the state for wrongful conviction. We've seen in our cases that there is a real epidemic in Elkhart in terms of the use of jailhouse informants and the promises of consideration to those informants that are never disclosed to defendants prior to trial, uh, and in fact, in um, some of our cases, the same jailhouse informants are being used over and over again. Uh, and it's not just that we, you know, woke up one morning and imagined that these informants are lying. You know, many of them have uh, have already recanted their false testimony in our post-conviction cases. The only physical evidence was a hat that the shooter left at the scene of the crime. It was the kind of hat you could have made at a shopping mall kiosk in the 1990s. It had an embroidered J on it and was tested for DNA. Though the DNA was not a match to Cooper, prosecutors managed to shelve the issue by stipulating that it neither matched Cooper nor ruled him out. His defense attorney didn't fight that false claim. That was the sum of the evidence, the mistaken eyewitnesses, the jailhouse informant's written statement, and the hat they said was his. It's like they were determined to get me, to find me
0: guilty, to place me in in that damn penitentiary
1: and they seceded. Cooper's trial was a one-day bench trial, which means he agreed to have a judge rather than a jury decide his fate. He thought he would win and go home, but the judge disagreed, and the guilty verdict devastated his family.
0: He saw me get carried away with shackles on You know, my daughter still remembers that day like it was yesterday. I can hear my kids crying. And they, I can hear the tears, the cry coming from the background, and I was, I didn't want to turn around and look at my own children because they had taken me away. But I ain't no appeal. To take two to three years. Not having my children in my life and not being in their life to man to raise my kids the proper way, so that so this could never happen to them, man. It made me want to cry because no man should be
1: snatched away from his kid for
0: something he never, he didn't
1: do. Cooper was terrified as he pulled into the Wabash Valley Correctional Facility in Carlisle, Indiana. I go in there in the middle of the afternoon, the yard full of guys.
0: Got to be at least over 300 guys in the yard. And I'm coming in there to fresh meat. Everybody stopped doing what they're doing to look at the guys that coming in. All this negative attention looking at me, and I'm looking at them. Like, wow, I'm sentenced to 40 years. How do I get over this fear? How do I get over this fear? I kept asking myself, what am I going to do to survive? They placed me in the cell with an older guy. And he told me, he said, look here, young man. He said, I want to know how you're going to do this time. Are you going to do the time, or are you going to let the time do you? Now I'm new. I don't understand the, the, what he's saying about that. And then I found out, if I let the time do me, then I'm no better than nobody else in that yard. But if I do the time, I become better than the people in the yard. I find a way to get out. So that's when I decided to go to school. That's when I decided, man, I got into church. I didn't want to die in prison. I didn't want my kids to give up their hope that one day they might see me again. I wanted them to keep that hope, because I kept it. So I let that burn inside of me to be my strength. I used it as my tool of survival. Because I saw what they was doing, the guys in that penitentiary. I always saw it on TV, but to live it, it's, it's ten times worse than what you see on TV. They dress it up sometimes. It's not like that in that damn cage. It did something to me. I mean, it really did something to me. I was, I was, I was so afraid that I wasn't afraid no more. You understand what I mean by it? Mm-hmm. I was scared to the point where I was just not scared no more. I was just willing to accept it. Whatever come my way, I was going to deal with it. And I knew, had I not took that deal at that time, man, I was going to die there.
1: So Cooper took the deal to get out of prison in 2006. He could help his family. He wouldn't have to face another trial. I just just told him, y'all yeah, can keep that conviction, I'm ready to go
0: home. I had already been charged with it, I had already did 10, nine years and a half on it. Man, let me go home. My kids are struggling. They're in a the shelter. Let me go out there and see what I can do. Show my kids that I'm still, they it. I'm still
1: going to rescue them. So how did the case against him fall apart, leading to the offer of freedom? Most importantly, another test of the DNA on the hat identified the real shooter, whose name actually began with the rhinestone J on the hat. Jolanus Irvin, tall and thin, had been convicted of a 2002 murder about 50 miles away in Michigan. I'm glad he did leave that hat. Because I'll still be sitting in that cell riding away. I'm glad, because my old day was 2027. Cooper's co-defendant, Chris Parrish, was also offered a deal. Parrish chose to stay in prison and fight. He would later win a $4.9 million settlement for his wrongful imprisonment. That option was lost to Cooper, but he did meet Parrish's lawyer, Elliot Slosser. Years later, Slosser would help unravel the rest of the evidence. The jailhouse informant, no longer needing his own deal, recanted. The victims no longer believed Cooper was the culprit. The officer who had framed Cooper was demoted for a history of coercive investigative tactics and improper relations with prostitutes he used as jailhouse informants. Cooper said he wasn't jealous of Parrish and his settlement. But I was I was happy for. Them because I was just happy just to be
0: free. I was just happy to be free with man to see my kids, my family, to be around loved
1: ones. That meant more to me than anybody. Cooper found his family and a job. He got them out of the shelter by driving a forklift for just above minimum wage at a shipping warehouse. The reunion was difficult. They'd all grown apart. He eventually split with his first wife, Cheryl. He also realized that his agreement made it nearly impossible to win a settlement like Parrish had. A pardon was his only hope. Slosser began a pardon campaign to take the felony off Cooper's record. He petitioned the parole board in 2011 and won a unanimous recommendation in 2014. Still, former Governor Mike Pence took no action on the case before he left office to become vice president. The prosecutor who prosecuted my case became a judge. That's a promotion.
0: The state attorney became attorney general. That's a promotion. Governor became the vice president. That's a promotion. I said, everybody that was involved in my case got a promotion. Got something. The only person that ain't getting them Keith Cooper. I never received an apology. Never. Only the victims apologized for what they did to me. Everybody else who had a hand in convicting me, they never
1: apologized. New Governor Eric Holcomb granted the pardon within a month of taking office in 2017.
0: And I didn't know I was on the
1: forklift working. They come
0: telling me, they say, man... You, you on the news. I mean, uh, they talking about you on the news. I said, what? So I go look. And they show me Eric Holcomb his speech. I was like, wow, you know, so now I got these tears flowing out my eyes, man. I can't hold them. I asked my boss, I said, hey, man, I need to go home. And I went home. I cried all the way home because I was I wasn't driving. I was on the bus taking two hours to get back home. And I couldn't stop sharing them tears because the nightmare was finally over for Keith Cooper. Well, you know I had worked at Bank uh, at Rapid for ten years. I did I did a foolish thing when I, when I went for that pardon when uh, Eric Hokeham pardoned me. I figured everything was gonna be over, so I kind of like. Drifting from my job.
1: Though struggling financially, Cooper found some happiness when he remarried to Nikki Sladen Cooper. He does some odd jobs now, but spends a lot of time watching his grandkids.
0: She got six grandkids, and I got six. So we got 12 grandkids all together. And
1: it's almost like the family feud, but a black family. You know, and we all, you know, it, it, it's cool. Cooper also enjoyed getting a chance to encourage the law students at Notre Dame to get involved in cases like his. He and Slosser spoke to the law school after his pardon. That event inspired the students to volunteer for a club that grew into a class and a legal clinic working to overturn wrongful conviction cases. I'm honored. I'm honored because I know there's a lot more Keith Coopers
0: that's wrongfully convicted. And for the state of Indiana for Notre Dame to open up that, the wrongful conviction clinic, I'm so proud of them and I'm honored because now
1: I know justice is going to be served throughout this state. Cooper's pardon made it easier for him to sue the state for wrongful imprisonment. He said he would like to be able to fix his house up and take his wife on vacation sometime. But not everything is perfect. He has some lingering issues that have been hard to get over. The years lost, the injustice, the violence of the prison.
0: It's like you took something from us, and we'll never get that back. Like right now, I, I suffer from PTSD, you know, and uh, and it hurts because I still have nightmares about some of the events that took place in that penitentiary. And My mama told me that some white men come looking for me in the suits. I, I went home Start started packing my stuff. I was ready to run again because I'm thinking, man, they from Indiana. Here comes some more cases they want to put on me. So now
1: I'm about ready to run. The men in suits turned out to be attorney Elliot Slosser and an associate who had come to ask him about his case on behalf of their client, Chris Parrish. His wife, Nikki, says Cooper sometimes sleepwalks in the night, even fighting phantoms in terror that he is still locked up.
2: One time I felt really bad because I woke up and I saw him fighting with the closet. He was punching, crying. And I'm like, what you doing? And he was like, "Babe, I'm fighting, I'm fighting. I'm like, who are you fighting? And he having a real conversation. And he was like, get off of me, get off of me. I'm telling y'all, get off of me, and leave me alone. My husband spent over nine years in prison and 25 years fighting here for his name. That's when I started doing my own research and I realized it was more prevalent than I thought it was. It was a shocker. I mean, you see it every day, but you don't really pay attention to it. It's something that you see and you hear about, but you don't know it's real. You don't know it's real to actually hit somebody that you love. So much so I started teaching my kids a prayer and my grandkids and his kids and grandkids. Come Holy Spirit, this place. What I learned was every time one of us walk out this door, We're a danger to society. Not because we want to be, but because who we were born as. You're automatically guilty until proven innocent, not innocent until proven guilty.
1: Cooper's ordeal did have one positive outcome. Lawyer Elliot Slosser first learned of Andy Royer after Cooper's case inspired the Indianapolis Star to run an investigative series on wrongful convictions in the state. Soon afterward, Royer's attorney contacted Slosser about getting involved. It really struck a chord with me um, about you know this very very vulnerable person clearly was mentally disabled and led into a false confession just from um, what I was able to review. And I remember that vacation that I was on with my wife, I actually sat under this little
2: hut on the beach and I read Andy's entire trial um, and the appellate record that I had on my iPad.
1: Next time on Proving Innocence, we take you inside the case of Andy Royer. He confessed to a murder that a judge now says he didn't commit. Even a cursory glimpse of that confession raises doubts about whether Royer was coerced with leading questions.
2: I started choking Helen. What were you choking her with? My uh, hand.
1: Or a rope.